John Stuart Mill's On Liberty, published in 1859, is probably the most influential work on freedom of speech ever written. It was an attempt by Mill to unite the philosophy of utilitarianism, the greatest happiness for the greatest number, with the safeguarding of liberal rights, protecting the individual from the tyranny of the majority. Mill saw that as the population became enfranchised, the political system was becoming increasingly identified with the will of the people, but that there was no serious doctrine that laid the principles that protected the people from a government of themselves. If a majority is in power, what stops them democratically oppressing the minority? There is a limit, Mill wrote, to the legitimate interference of collective opinion with individual independence. And to find that limit and maintain it against encroachment is as indispensable to a good condition of human affairs as protection against political despotism. The question for Mill was where to place that limit and the principle that drove on liberty was simple. That the sole end for which mankind is warranted individually or collectively in interfering with the liberty of action of any of their number is self-protection. That the only purpose for which power can be rightfully exercised over any member of a civilized community against his will is to prevent harm to others. Then comes Mill's most famous line, over himself, over his own body and mind, the individual is sovereign. Mill wrote that there are three basic principles of liberty, the freedom of thought and, as they are indivisible, freedom of speech, the freedom to pursue tastes as long as they do no harm to others, and the freedom to unite. He then goes into each of these, starting with the freedom of thought and speech, which he begins to defend by saying, if all mankind minus one were of one opinion, and only one person were of the contrary opinion, mankind would be no more justified in silencing that one person than he, if he had the power, would be justified in silencing mankind. Mill thinks that to silence an opinion, even if it's false, is wrong. If that opinion is true, the silencers are deprived of learning that truth, and if it's false, they lose the clearer perception and livelier impression of the truth produced by its collision with error. We can never be 100% certain that the opinion we try to silence is a false one, and to claim to know for certain is the first step towards despotism. Furthermore, wrong opinions gradually yield to fact and argument, but facts and arguments must be brought before them to prove them wrong. Many commonplace beliefs of the past have turned out to be false, and truth has at many times been oppressed and those with new ideas persecuted. The wise Socrates was sentenced to death for corruption of the youth. The Reformation broke out at least 20 times before Martin Luther came along and each time was defeated. And Newton's theory of gravity and Copernicus's discovery that the earth orbited the sun were both persecuted by the church. Not only that, Mill said that false opinions are good sparring practice for good opinions, However true something may be, if it is not fully, frequently and fearlessly discussed, it will be held as a dead dogma, not a living truth. It is better to understand the grounds of opinions than to just know them by rote. Both teachers and learners go to sleep at their post as soon as there is no enemy in the field. And finally, Mill says that most obviously of all, 
rather than being either true or false, opinions are much more likely to share the truth between them. Mill then builds on this by arguing for the importance of human individuality, indispensable for creativity, diversity and progress. He says that no one's idea of excellence in conduct is that people should do absolutely nothing but copy one another. Mill's style is as much literary as dry philosophy, and he drives the importance of individuality home with quotable sentences like, customs are made for customary circumstances and customary characters, but his circumstances or his character may be uncustomary. He who lets the world or his portion of it choose his plan of life for him has no need of any other faculty than the ape-like one of imitation. He who chooses his plan for himself employs all his faculties, and even despotism does not produce its worst effects as long as individuality exists under it. Mill's belief is that conformity will lead to the decline of Western civilization, and that eccentricity is paramount to stopping that decline. Precisely because the tyranny of opinion is such as to make eccentricity a reproach, he says, it is desirable in order to break through that tyranny that people should be eccentric, and the amount of eccentricity in a society has generally been proportional to the amount of genius, mental vigour and moral courage it contained. Finally, Mill defines the harm principle. What then is the rightful limit to the sovereignty of the individual over himself? Where does the authority of society begin? He says that first, we each have an obligation to not injure the interest of one another, or rather certain interests, which either by express legal provision or by tacit understanding, ought to be considered as rights. But as soon as a person's conduct negatively affects another person, society must become involved and the effect of the person's conduct open to discussion. Self-regarding acts are to be left to the individual, which of course begs the question of whether any act is entirely self-regarding. Mill addresses this problem by saying that no person is an entirely isolated being. It is impossible for a person to do anything seriously or permanently hurtful to himself without mischief reaching at least to his near connections and often far beyond them. If he injures his property, he does great harm to those who directly or indirectly derived support from it and usually diminishes by a greater or lesser amount the general resource of the community. If he deteriorates his bodily or mental faculties, he not only brings evil upon all who depended on him for any portion of their happiness, but disqualifies himself for rendering the services which he owes to his fellow creatures generally. His answer to the question of what constitutes harm to others is probably the most libertarian in the essay. There is no question here, it may be said, about restricting individuality or impeding the trial of new and original experiments in living. The only things it is sought to prevent are things which have been tried and condemned from the beginning of the world until now, things which experience has shown not to be useful or suitable to any person's individuality. The biggest problem for Mill then was defining what constitutes harm contradicting himself when discussing what he means by definite damage or a definite risk of damage. He tolerates private gambling, for example, but wouldn't allow public gambling houses. 
He says no person in society should be punished for being drunk, but a soldier or policeman should be punished for being drunk on duty. He says that an opinion that corn dealers are starvers of the poor, or that private property is robbery, ought to be unmolested when simply circulated through the press, but may justly incur punishment when delivered orally to an excited mob assembled before the house of a corn dealer. The problem for Mill is that definite damage or a definite risk of damage is a questionable rule when what defines damage differs from person to person. And what does he mean by definite risk? For Mill, the logic of liberty extends to the economy. Trade, he says, is a social act and restrictions on trade or on production for purposes of trade are indeed restraints and all restraint, qua restraint, is an evil. Although he does allow for some intervention when there is clear danger, for example in the regulation of poisons. Mill's arguments has consequences for questions like the smoking ban and taxes on actions which have an effect on the environment. And it's worth mentioning that Mill's liberty also didn't extend to all societies. Despotism, he said, is a legitimate mode of government in dealing with barbarians, leading to contemporary critics labelling Mill as racist and further questioning the consistency of his logic. But the longevity of on liberty has meant that whether you agree with him or not, Mill's principles of liberty have become a defining part of our laws, education and culture. If you like these videos and would like to support me making more, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook by clicking the links in the description below. You can like this video and subscribe to the Then and Now channel to see more. And if you're feeling really generous, you can pledge as little as a dollar towards the creation of each new video. You can click here to find out more. Thank you.